The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, our LGBTQ panel will discuss the impact on the LGBTQ community. But first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. All right, uh, time to answer some of your questions, uh, your comments tonight. You can send them in by email to laurie at drlaurie.com or you can... Always send them in by text to uh, 514-800. A person writes in, is it real during menopause the body's temperature is higher than normal in Celsius or is it just a feeling? Um, Well, hormonal changes can make the body temperature fluctuate. So uh, like if you think about women in... uh, uh, in like women in menopause who have all these hot flashes or hot flushes, it comes from the uh, less estrogen in the body. But I don't know if it if your your actual body temperature is higher because it's just a flush and then it goes it goes away within um, a few minutes and it goes back to normal. So I'm not I have not heard that it raises your body temperature generally across the day. Um, but that's something to, to look into. I think it's just the, the feeling of the flushing that happens because generally women will say, okay, so I get this hot, this, this hot flash that comes over me. And then minutes later, they're cold all, all over again. So women can experience these huge fluctuations. So I don't think it raises body temperature, um, generally speaking. Uh, text writes in too many people are complaining about feeling bored without being able to engage in something entertaining to do yet it never occurs to them to perhaps simply seize the available present opportunity present opportunity to actually truly get to know their proper partners families roommates or even themselves for that matter why not have meaningful Q&A sessions and conversations about substantial matters that actually help us understand and connect with one another, which ultimately serve to bring us closer together rather than further apart? Uh, yes, it would be great if people would use this time to, uh, to seize that opportunity to actually connect face-to-face more rather than on, uh, on all our uh, devices. Uh, Hey, Lori, today I admitted to my partner that I think I have an addiction to porn. It's really embarrassing and it's affecting my performance. How do I fix this? We do not live together, by the way. So why do you think you have an addiction to porn? Some, you know, what does it mean to have uh, an addiction? So first of all, it, it, if you look at the literature, these the psychiatric lit- literature in terms of what constitutes a mental disorder, mental health disorder, uh, addiction, sex addiction is not one of them. It has not uh, been qualified as such. But that doesn't mean we don't have, there aren't people out there who have, who are compulsive about their sexuality or compulsive about their porn watching. What distinguishes it is, you, you can have a very high sex drive. That doesn't mean you're an addict simply because you have a very high sex drive. It just means you have a very high sex drive. But if your viewing becomes 
compulsive, meaning that that's all you can think about. When's the next time I'm going to get my fix? When's the next time I'm going to watch porn? Your porn use gets more and more extreme. It is disrupting your uh, relationship. It is disrupting your daily living. Then it can create a problem. If it's affecting your performance, is it the porn or is it the frequent masturbation? Because if you're masturbating frequently and then you go to have sex with your partner, you may not feel like it. You may, um, depending on your age, may just not be able to get it up a a second, third time in that day. So there's that that you also have to consider. Uh, My wife is going on two weeks vacation plus two weeks quarantine because of vacation in total, one month, three days, no passion right now. Uh, where is she going on vacation? Wow, I don't know anybody who's traveling these days, and where would she travel to? Uh, Social distancing is nothing new. (laughs) My wife has been practicing it with me for years. Well, that's sad. If that's the case, and you're feeling that distant from your wife, maybe it's time the two of you sought out some uh, professional uh, uh, counseling to help you out because living, living a life where you're, there's a forced social distancing with like, you know, not forced, meaning it's, if it's coming from the inside and not the outside telling you, you have to do it. Something is seriously wrong with the relationship. And you're certainly not going to get your needs met if your partner is so distant from you. And I'm not talking about uh, sexual needs, although that's part of it, but your emotional needs of connection. When we're in a, a relationship, we want to be connected with somebody. We want to feel like we have a partner where somebody has our back, where we feel we can be vulnerable with, etc. So if a, if a partner is very, very socially distant from you, or emo- it's more emotionally distant, really, uh, then that spells quite a bit of trouble and uh, best to uh, to nip that and, and talk to a therapist about it together to see what it is. Why do couples get distant? Often it's built up uh, built up resentments over time and build up a buildup of resentment can um, can lead to contempt and when it, when you get contempt in a relationship, that's when you're in some, uh, serious trouble, unfortunately. Uh, let's see. There was someone a while back who talked about his wife not accepting that he is a plumber and handyman and saying instead to her friends, whoever, that he is a chartered accountant. My suggestion is contrary to yours. Um, so I suggested like he pipe up and say, well, that's not actually true. And okay. So here's another option here. Uh, she clearly has the classes belief that white collar jobs are more worthy than blue collar jobs. All jobs are equally valid and important. He needs to talk with her and explain to her that he is hurt when she substitutes his profession for another in order to uphold her classist beliefs. My impression was that he uh, had talked to her about it already, but he could say that he will no longer tolerate her lying about his profession. And if she says something to that effect, he will correct her in front of others. So not so different from what I said. Uh, Given that this has been going on a long time, I think he said many years, I think at best he speaks with her beforehand in order to avoid Uh, more conflict rather than correct her on the spot in front of people and add more fuel to the fire. So this I agree with, that a conversation needs to be had 
ahead of time. Um, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I just got the impression when this person wrote in that it was an issue that had been discussed and, and I guess, um, nothing, nothing came of it. The wife insisted on, on lying in front of her friends, which doesn't make the guy feel very good each and every time she does that because it ends up devaluing the work that, uh, that he does and feeling like, uh, his partner is not proud of her, of him or admires him or what have you. So that is not a pleasant, uh, a pleasant feeling for, uh, for anybody. Um, let's see, is there a best, is there a best sex position for, uh, conceiving? Um, good question. Not really. No. Um, you, I I mean, somebody can conceive with an ejaculation just at the opening of the vagina too. Those things can, uh, those little spermies can swim, uh, pretty fast and pretty far. So I, there's, not that I heard of that there's any one necessary position, but, uh, maybe, uh, ejaculation deeper in would, um, I guess they, they would just be closer to the cervix <laughs> and that might, might be helpful. Uh, coming up, we have our LGBTQ panel discussing, um, any special considerations for, uh, the LGBT population and coronavirus? Is it affecting this population, this segment of the population differently or more or what have you? So we'll discuss that with our panelists uh, coming up after 10, 15. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Our regular panel tonight, one of our regular monthly panels is on LGBTQ, uh, around the LGBTQ population. And joining me tonight are Bill Ryan, McGill professor and LGBTQ activist, longtime activist, David Hawkins, who is the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus Center as well. Welcome, gentlemen. I'm sorry we can't be uh, face-to-face uh, during this time, but hey, you get to be in the comfort of your own homes while talking to me. And we're social distancing. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the distance, I would yes, say. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for having us in all the same. Yes, yes a pleasure to have you. <clears throat> so I was reading online, and uh, you'll have to tell me what, what you think about all of this, but there was one uh, headline that caught my eye. It was LGBTQ people especially at risk for COVID-19. There was a letter uh, with a bunch of signers um, from the National LGBT Cancer Network, the GLMA Health Professionals Advancing LGBTQ Equality. Uh, there was the New York Transgender Advocacy Group. I mean, uh, there were over a hundred different um, organizations who have, especially in the U.S., who have signed on urging that attention be paid to LGBTQ people who they say are at higher risk of catching COVID-19 than the general population. Now, is this something that you have heard, Bill? It is not something I've heard. I'd be interested in knowing what the explanation okay. for that is. So let me uh, let me go <clears throat> on and, and explain. Uh, so risk factors cited by the letter highlight the elevated ra- rates of smoking among LGBTQ people, something 
very concerning since COVID-19 is a respiratory illness. Uh, they say the LGBTQ plus population uses tobacco at rates that are 50% higher than the general population. Uh, the highly contagious disease is also extremely dangerous to those with existing health conditions and LGBTQ people have higher rates of both HIV and cancer. Uh, both conditions lead to Im- compromised immune systems. The letter also highlighted how many LGBTQ people are reticent to seek medical care because of bias they've previously encountered from health providers. Um, the signers also pointed out the 3 million plus LGBTQ elders in the U.S., people especially vulnerable to COVID-19 and more socially isolated than other uh, seniors. Uh, they also state uh, LGBTQ plus elders are already less likely than their heterosexual and cisgender peers to reach out to health and aging providers like senior centers, meal programs, and other programs designed to ensure their health and wellness because they fear discrimination and harassment. The devastating impact of COVID-19 on older people makes this a huge issue for the LGBTQ plus communities as uh, as well so they are urging profession medical professionals also to use inclusive language and imagery in their covid19 uh, messaging and they also pushed for easily accessible patient information on pro lgbtq health uh, providers so that's what uh, that's what this is all about yeah. i'm not sure what you've been hearing bill i think that um you know, one of the important considerations in there as well is something we've talked about off and on over the course of the show in the past couple of years, and that is this, because this is an American uh, letter, right. is this whole notion of healthcare professionals being able to refuse to treat people who have lifestyles that the professional disagrees with for religious reasons, right? <clears throat> which again, in certain parts of the United States would put all kinds of people at risk. And we know that Generally speaking, the more vulnerable one is in terms of their sexual orientation or gender identity, the more one hesitates to go to a healthcare practitioner. Right. So that would be the thing that would differ, differentiate us, uh, let's say Canadians, from um, Americans and all of that. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that in, in all of Canada everyone would feel comfortable, right. but there, there is actually there's no law that allows someone to discriminate. In fact, the law is quite the opposite, and that is that someone who discriminates could be brought before their board or college and, uh, and, and uh, repudiated for that, right? reproached right. for that, and punished uh, with fines. Right, absolutely. David, I don't know if you've heard anything about this. Yeah, I mean, I think we might have read the same thing because all of that sounds uh, very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. This all sounds like things that I've already come across. I know that kind of in, in the work that we're doing at the center, some of the big concerns that we have, uh, for one, we do have kind of this fear of people being reticent in going to seek medical assistance when they need it because of their queer identity as people. Mm-hmm. But I think also one of the big things that we as as an organization are looking at right now is this idea of like the fact that a lot of our participants and a lot of queer people are going to be forcibly self-isolating at home in environments that are not necessarily healthy for them. Right. I mean, if we're talking about someone who has a, um, a poor relationship with their parents and they have to self-isolate with their family, that can pose so many problems. Right. That's, and that's true. I don't think it helps. Right. That no, is a, that's a factor that's been mentioned as well. 
Yes, and we're seeing in, in another area that you could probably correlate, and that is the amount of domestic violence and violence against women. Uh, the United Nations talked about, um, you know, um, rapid increase in the amount of um, violence in home. So, you know, of course, anyone who's vulnerable uh, ends up generally being the object of violence if there's violence in the house. Right. So it's uh, it's a pretty high-stress time for people. I'd say the other thing, too, that for older gay men is how much this brings back the trauma of the early years of mm. the HIV infection, yeah. or what we called AIDS then, <clears throat> and uh, and the experience of being ostracized and the... You know um, the the um, the great difficulty in telling people, and uh, it, it's. I know that in my practice, um, I'm seeing an awful lot of people are experiencing trauma related to what happened to them 30 years ago, and right. now they're vulnerable to COVID-19 because they're in the older age categories as well. Right. So yeah. um, that's true. So if anybody has HIV right now and is on the uh, the uh, immunosuppressant drugs and all that. What uh, are they more at risk? Do you know, Bill? Um, so I don't think there's been an awful lot of work done on that. But actually, the drugs that people with HIV are on now are actually pretty effective in keeping the immune system strong. Ah, okay. So um, you know, people generally have pretty healthy immune systems if they're on the antiretrovirals. Aside, aside from the fact that some people may experience some difficulty with those medications. But in general, they're, they're, they can be pretty healthy. And, you know, who knows? I know that in China, they were talking about using antiretroviral medications developed for HIV in the um, treatment of people with COVID-19 just to see if there were some perhaps benefits from that medication that could uh, right. be shown to push back the COVID virus. Huh. That would be an interesting study to see. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we'll see those studies because, any, you know, we're talking about a virus. And so anything that's being used successfully against one virus, on some level, people are probably right. going to try to use it against others. Right. So, you know, when we're talking about targeting, let's say, the LGBTQ community, obviously you're going to get, like, a lot of those religious groups in the States. I, I haven't heard anything here, but there was a, an, an anti-LGBTQ televangelist that yeah, actually... Franklin Graham. Yeah, that actually said, uh, no, this is another one, Andrew Womack, who, who actually said, if you serve the Lord your God, then you won't get coronavirus, okay? Yeah. This is a televangelist who supports conversion therapy and the death penalty for homosexuality. He actually has said that. Uh, and he said that God will turn off receptors in cells that allow in the virus that causes COVID-19 for people who are good enough uh, Christians. Uh, we, he said, we were promised that no sickness would ever come nigh our dwelling and discussed a reference to sickness in the Old Testament. He says, um, I've been studying just in the last couple of days based on all this was Exodus, blah, blah, blah. That verse says that you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall take away all sickness, take all sickness away from the midst of thee. Um, mm. So he actually thinks uh, that this is how, you know, <laughs> That somehow, if you follow the letter of what he believes is the Bible or whatever, that uh, you won't get sick. But, but like, are we surprised? <laughs> I mean, I mean, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what crisis we are facing or what um, current environment we are facing, you always get those people. And I really hate to say it, but like, 
a lot of times you get these televangelist preachers out of the states or these um these ministers and these preachers out of the states and from kind of far right ideals and they turn around and they'll say something like this that is has no founding in science or reality whatsoever and Anytime we have anything, they pop back up again with these these kind of defenses and these justifications. Yeah, and like, it's not just for the LGBTQ <clears throat> population. Like, I also saw some other religious groups talk about, you know, if you follow uh, all the rules and, and then, you know, you won't get sick or, yeah. like, you know, you all have to, to follow, and again, be you know, one man, one woman, like all those rules, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that they spew out constantly. So, uh, but that's, of course, it has no gender. It has no, no religion. COVID-19 has affected everybody in the population. It hasn't spared anybody. No, and and you know one of the one of the very sad things for for many reasons is that um, you're looking at uh, primarily Pentecostals in the southern United States who are refusing to cancel religious services, and they're they're filling churches with 1,200, 2,000 people, and we've already had some of their um, pastors die, oh. and of course in two weeks we're going to probably see an awful lot of the congregants die. And um, and sadly, they will have gone out into their communities and probably spread it further. It's just it's it's atrocious, and uh, I think I think these religious leaders should be in jail. To tell you the truth, um, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I don't know what the thinking is behind there. I don't know why they're saved in Jesus. They're covered. What, what oh is yeah, it? They're covered, covered in, in Jesus', Jesus blood. blood. Right. Oh my God! <laughs> and they will not get it. You know, and and the problem is they are getting it. And uh, by the time they realize it, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of people, um, including politicians on the right end of the spectrum, I think, who are going to have to face some pretty hard questions when this is all over about their behavior and the policies that they drove that um, that created conditions for this to spread and created conditions for the material that was needed not to be present. Yeah. It is so, it's so dangerous, huh? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm alarmed by a lot of the news that's kind of coming out of, especially out of the states at the moment. Because I mean, there's also in the past 24 hours, 48 hours, been this growing conversation around how um, American um, suppliers are kind of hijacking shipments of medical equipment from all around the world, hmm. and and I'm I'm in that sense I'm I am quite worried because this. This I don't think is going anywhere in the in the very near future, and America on kind of Trump. like all these different spectrums are is are denying the validity of COVID nineteen and are right. saying that it's not as severe and it's not as widespread and yeah. it's not we, as deadly. We need to all be we need to all all be worried and taking heed. Uh, we're going to continue with my panelists uh, Bill Ryan and David Hawkins, our LGBTQ plus panel. Uh, continuing to talk about uh, COVID-19 and, and how it is seen in the LGBTQ community and what crazy stuff is being spewed out, blaming, blaming the LGBT uh, community for COVID-19. Tell you about that story coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak. You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Joining me tonight for our LGBTQ panel, Bill Ryan. He's a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate and uh, and 
ES advocate, and uh, David Hawkins, who is the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus Center. So I wanted to read uh, read you this, and this is another pastor, so just so we're on that same uh, thing. Uh, LGBTQ people have been blamed for all kinds of things in the past, right? Hurricanes, earthquakes, attacks, disasters, whatever else. And now they're being blamed for the coronavirus outbreak. Stephen Andrew, is that the one that you, you mentioned earlier, Bill? Was, or it was yet another pastor you were thinking of? I think it was of. yet another, yes. <laughs> Yeah, there are a few of them. Oh, man, this is crazy. He is the pastor of the USA Christian Church, which appears to be a virtual Internet-based church, has declared March to be Repent of LGBT Sin Month. Did you know that existed? And one of the reasons is the emergence of the coronavirus strain that so far infected, well, we know how many people. Um, God's love shows it is urgent to repent because the Bible teaches homosexuals lose their souls and God destroys LGBT society. He said this in a press release. Obeying God protects the USA from diseases such as the coronavirus. Our safety is at stake, he said, since national disobedience of God's laws brings danger and diseases such as coronavirus, but obeying God brings covenant protection. God protects the USA from danger as the country repents of LGBT, false gods, abortion, and other uh, sins. He calls himself the leader of the American Christian denomination. Well, it would be interesting to see in some of these really right-wing fundamentalist churches that are gathering by the thousands in their in their buildings on Sundays and over this Easter period, if they interpret the massive death that's going to happen <laughs> among their congregants as God's punishment on them. Right, right. You know? And the other thing I wanted to mention about religious organizations is Franklin Graham, who's the son of Billy Graham, a mm-hmm. famous evangelist, um, <clears throat> runs an organization called Samaritan's Purse, and they set up the tent in the at the hospital in oh, Central Park. Oh, I just Park. saw this. Yes, Franklin and Graham. And they're requiring mm-hmm. they're requiring all people, medical staff who work there, all nurses, all orderlies, to sign a statement saying that they believe homosexuality is evil, and that same-sex couples are an evil to visit it upon society. And they're still running this. And they won't um, allow. By the way, I just saw this. They won't allow volunteers who um, you have to sign off saying that you believe in their their yes. whatever. Yeah, otherwise you can't yes. even volunteer your time yes. to help or anything. Yeah, the governor of New York uh, sharply rebuked them, but I don't think it made any difference. And they're in such dire straits. They, in New York there. City right now, they cannot turn away an organization that's going to run a hospital for them. Right. Although they so, did know, say, just... although they did say that uh, they weren't, they were going to treat everybody. But of course, that's mm-hmm. questionable, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, apparently they've already turned away people for being gay and have said as much. I mean, I think we might have all read the same article, but that mm-hmm. like that's a, that's an, uh, a footnote that I had seen as well was that they had already been turning away mm-hmm. gay people. Yeah. yeah. There's a, it was another, uh, again, it was also said in the news and somebody else, a Florida minister said the virus is a plague sent by God to wipe out LGBTQ people and other sinners. So what happens when one of the religious leaders gets it, which we know there have been uh, religious leaders who have gotten it, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, somehow, like, they're sinners too. It's the, just... the story will change. You can well imagine yeah. the story will change. But I always find it amazing how these American right-wing uh, evangelicals have exactly the same discourse as the Taliban. 
They oh, just they just replace one god with another god's name, and it's the exact same discourse. Yeah, I have a couple of texts here. American evangelicals are vile scum. Someone else says, Dr. Lori, these religious people are cuckoo. Uh, we must remember uh, many of these ev- evangelists prey on the weak-minded and in it strictly for financial gain. No congregation, no money. Reputable religions have found remote ways for parishioners to worship. There's... there's uh, that as well. Um, I, I can't believe that they're promoting the worship, like to, to, they're saying, yes, come to our church, like come to, yeah. come, come pray. Yeah. And generally speaking, those kinds of situations, you know, the two populations that get singled out first are women and LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And we see in the Southern United States, even people, I, I can't remember his name, Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, uh, a big wig in the uh, Republican Party in the southern U.S. is now putting in uh, this bill <clears throat> that's being looked at um, that all um, Planned Parenthood, all pregnancy cessation services should all be closed. Mm. So, you know, if you want the money, you have to discriminate against LGBT people and women. Right. All the family planning centers and such. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So no access to abortion, no access right. to anything uh, mm-hmm. Anything it's else? It's a temporary measure for them, but of course, a temporary measure for them is one thing, but a temporary measure for women who need these services is a closed door. Right. Right? Right. They don't need it in six months or at nine months or ten months, whenever this is all over. They yeah. need those services now. Right. You are... Uh... <clears throat> Quite true. Uh, this the our passion poet weighs in. This virus knows no orientation. It does not care if you're gay or straight. Unlike some social communities, it does not discriminate. We are all in this together. Let's put our opinion our opinions aside. This included your personal convictions, if need be, your personal pride. This is a war we will win. We must take every measure. Does not matter who you are. We will win this together. So, well said, that's true. And then someone else texted in, another female interviewed said she she would not be sick because she is bathed in the blood of Jesus. No science there, what a shame. I'm not even sure where that comes from, bathed in the blood of Jesus, but what are they? Well, it's a a Pentecostal (laughs) saying that uh, when they're baptized, that the blood of Jesus covers them, which means that the blood of Jesus signifies the death of Jesus to forgive sins. So they're forgiven because they've got the blood of Jesus on them. Okay. It's a kind of sort of grotesque term. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> exactly. Like I, I picture Car- the movie Carrie. Every yes, time. that's exactly what I was thinking of, the movie Carrie. That's kind of, yeah. And talk about a, a, her mother who was, uh, you know, evangelical right. or whatever yeah, exactly. she was, right? Uh, same kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So, you know, a lot of people have been putting out on their doors or windows uh, rainbows. Yes, so somebody just texted in saying, my question for the panel is, do you feel as I that the general public has hijacked the rainbow banner, <laughs> a symbol of pride? My concern is that children will be confused when the ra- rainbow is once again displayed. <laughs> I mean, confused. Confused. I mean, I think, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Um I, you know, personally, I think it's actually a really nice way for these symbols to come together. Mm-hmm. And uh, this characterizes hope. And uh, that's what the rainbow flag was meant to characterize as well, right? And hope and solidarity. So <clears throat> I'm actually quite happy to see them being used for two different reasons, because ultimately that means that whenever it's seen, we'll think of both those things. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think using the rainbow in this case is... It's synonymous with the original meaning of the rainbow flag. 
like as Bill, as Bill said, it's all about hope and solidarity. And and the way we're using the rainbow now is to say we're going to get through this and everything's going to be all right in the end. So maybe yeah. explaining it to children that way, that what yeah. what it actually represents and that it, you know, it was adopted by a, a marginalized group, right? Yep, to, absolutely. For that kind of thing. So you can use it as a... Uh, as a teachable uh, moment. We've got Hi. Bill Ryan here, who's a McGill professor and LGBTQ a- advocate, and uh, David Hawkins, who's the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 uh, Plus Center uh, on our uh, on our uh, panel, our LGBTQ panel, which we do every month to discuss issues uh, particular to the LGBT community. Uh, is there anything that you want to bring up, Bill? Anything going on that uh, we should be talking well, about? There's, there's one thing I thought that I would mention, actually, if we had the time, and <clears throat> because there's some debate about it within, even within the community. And you know, since in the last ten years, all kinds of what we call social apps have been developed, and um, you know, they, they have all different kinds of names. And there are apps for straight people, and apps for gay men, and apps for lesbians, and apps for trans people to meet. And um, there's been some, some judgment about the fact that people are still using those apps. And my experience is that those apps now are being used to create virtual communities all around the world. Absolutely. And nobody's going out of their houses to meet people or to, or to have sex dates or anything like that. And those apps are very criticized for that reason. But again, I'm, I meet all kinds of people in my work who say that uh, their social networks are all people who live, you know, very, very far away, but that they talk to regularly. Absolutely. These apps. And I think, that I, you know, rather than being ashamed that the apps exist or trying to downplay them now, I think we should be promoting them as ways to break isolation and have I conversations. Think, I think it's uh, absolutely important now more than <clears throat> ever that we have ways to, to connect socially with others. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, how the uh, the LGBTQ community is now faring, also because their uh, their social community centers and such have also closed down. Uh, so, what are some of the best ways to get support for uh, the LGBTQ community? That's coming up after Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight, our LGBTQ panelists are in with me by phone, of course, not in studio. Bill Ryan, a McGill professor of and LGBTQ advocate. Uh, and we have uh, David Hawkins, the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus Center. Somebody wants to know, what do those initials stand for? <laughs> Who wants to go? <laughs> go, David, it's your center. Yeah, David, All go. All right. So, I mean, I think, I think it's comfortable to say that LGBTQ is, is pretty well defined, but if not, simply it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or trans, depending on each person's own definition, and then Q for queer. Now, we at the center have opted to add on two for, to symbolize two-spirit, because for us, we think it's really important that as a community, we recognize the importance of working with First Nations communities. Okay. and. Oftentimes, they don't get the services that they need, especially when we're talking about people who are First Nations and also themselves queer, because that's an intersectional community that often gets overlooked. And so for us, it was important to recognize them as a legitimate identity that needs to be worked with and needs to be provided services. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that was kind of the first step that we took to say that our space was open and inclusive to people um, of all First Nations 
origins, if they identify as two-spirited, if they identify as gay or queer or so any of those can, other terms. Can you explain the two-spirited for people who don't know what that is? Um, so it's a little bit challenging for me to explain what two-spirit is because I myself, I'm not First Nations. Okay, so, so maybe, can... maybe, Bill, you've been around a long time. You would know this evolution of, yeah. you know, um, right? Yeah, I actually, um, with a colleague, did the first research and interviews of people who identified as two-spirit across Canada at the end of the 1990s. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a term that, you know, we're talking about hundreds of communities and cultures, so it varies from place to place. So I'll give you the sort of generic understanding mm-hmm. of it. And it is that in about 250 indigenous languages across the New World in North and South America and parts of the Pacific, um, communities existed that honored people that today we would call in our terms gay, lesbian, bisexual, or trans. But in their languages, they referred to something that got translated into English as two-spirit. Okay. And it basically means a person who, who is inhabited by the male and female spirit at the same time and is considered to be closer to the gods because they live more fully the, 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 the state of being a human when they have both a male and female spirit in them. Hmm. Um, the term was, was introduced in English in 1989 for the very first time, actually, the gathering in Winnipeg, Manitoba, huh. where people from, you know, all different cultures and languages that were mutually incomprehensible um, came together and said, we have to find a word that we can use across all of our languages in a common language, which was English, and, uh, and the word two-spirit was born. Okay. Um, and, you know, in some, in some cultures, like the Navajo, the word is natle, which means man-woman, and there are, there are all different um, ways of it being lived in different Aboriginal or Indigenous communities. Right. But revered in those communities. <clears throat> revered. They were often the healers, uh, the medicine people, the teachers, the guardians of, uh, and educators of the children. Um, they were warriors who were, you know, female-identified, um, and so they exercised roles that the Europeans considered to be roles that were unacceptable for people of that gender to to mm-hmm. exercise. Because, again, we forget when the Europeans came here, they were burning people at the stake like Jeanne d'Arc because right. she wanted to be a soldier. Right. Uh, and they came to the New World and discovered all kinds of different variances in gender. For example, the Ojibwe, who um, are, are uh, an indigenous nation very present in Ontario, they believe that there are eight genders, not two. Wow. Uh, and, you know, and so they, for them, it was, it just wasn't an issue until Christian colonizers came and told them their, all their belief system was evil and they, and they beat that system out of them with violence. <laughs> and it's been since the 1950s and 60s that it started to reemerge and it generally has reemerged in communities that are more in contact with their traditions and histories than those communities that were colonized much longer. So sad so to have wiped West, out such yeah. important uh, history. Yeah, actually, and actually, it's now coming back as a definition that I think that helps us get a broader handle on mm-hmm. what it is to be uh, part of gender and sexual diversity, even when one is an indigenous, because it's a very rich term. Absolutely, very rich term. Uh, t- one texter wrote, with all due respect to the panel, some must always blame some group. LGBTQ just is an easy target. 
If it makes you feel better, one small group said it's an alien conspiracy to start wiping out humans to inherit the planet without destroying anything else. My God. <laughs> yeah. well, well, aliens aren't being beaten in the streets or refused services or condemned. Um, you know, and uh, if, if they are, they'll start their own alien liberation group. But, uh, you know, in, in real life, women and sexual and gender minorities are, are bearing a lot of the brunt of people's anger. And uh, again, in countries that are more authoritarian, and I include right. the U.S. in that now, right. um, measures are being taken to restrict the rights of women and LGBT people. Right. All right. Mm. To get on to a lighter, lighter topic to end the show, has anybody seen a Tiger King? Oh on God! Netflix? What do you mean lighter? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only bringing this up because there was controversy around one of the um, one of the characters in the show. Um, I think her. I think uh, his. Her, they go by her, but I, I, I heard that that character who they meant talk about as her is actually a trans uh, individual. Um, yes, yes. But so, they uh, never ever mention that. You know, they keep mentioning saying her, 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 hmm. who had who yeah. had his her arm uh, chewed off by a tiger, basically, and continues to work for this cr- crazy tiger king. Yeah, so from my understanding, uh, the character in question, Saf, yeah. is is a trans man, and it was very well documented in preparing for the the, the docu series that Saf identified as a, as a man and used he him pronouns, and a lot of the people who worked with Saf knew that and understood that. However, when it came time to release this docu series, they exclusively referred to Saf by female pronouns. They exclusively referred to Saf kind of as a, as a butch lesbian, right? And and so that's I think really harmful. But I mean I think there were a lot of things with that with that show that uh, that I was not comfortable with. I mean also the this idea of um, uh, Joe Exotic kind of turning straight men to be gay. <laughs> I think I think that was something that came up and was kind of like a like blink and it's gone. Right. Uh, I didn't was... I, I actually didn't see that except for the fact that his two husbands were younger men who had had no other, I guess, very little experience or, or and he was kind of he was like a cult leader basically. You have to watch it, Bill. It's uh quite Is fascinating. Like, are you talking polyamory here? Yeah, basically yeah. two guys and uh, he's a he's a redneck like it's really interesting to see and a gay man and I mean it was interesting that that you could see he was not your stereotypical which I think is a good thing right in in part there wasn't that stereotypical Mm. male portrayal and this is who he really is like it's it was a documentary so it's him it's not a a portrayal of him Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it it doesn't make an issue of the the uh, the gay uh, the gay themes in there or what have you. Although they they do talk about the husbands and 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 what have you. I'd be I'd be very interested, Bill, in getting your take on it. When, yeah, uh, I, I I've avoided it just it. because what I hear about what's done to animals. Oh, it's kind horrible. Of, it's it's. I, it's I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to watch that. I know. I, I, I made it halfway through docuseries and I, I had to stop. I was trying to uh, to Netflix party with friends and do the whole season. And at episode four, I said, guys, I, I need to stop. I can't keep watching because, like, 
I, I stopped at episode nauseous. four. Yeah, I stopped at about episode four as well, and it was something that was like, mm, um, yeah. Now, David, you your center, your West Island LGBTQ2 plus center, is there as a community center for the community, for the LGBTQ community. Where are people yeah. getting their support now? Like, you've obviously closed your doors temporarily. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we, we've physically shuttered our offices in Beaconsfield, but we've moved all of our programming online, so people who still want to access our drop-ins actually now have kind of a wider section of times that they can choose from. Okay. Because we've, we've kind of parsed out our programs and divided them into smaller time slots so that we could spread them throughout the week. So people are getting a more constant possibility of touching in for support. Okay, but good. also one of the really interesting things is just that a lot of our participants have created their own networks as well. And so even when our programs are not... Uh, are not open or are not running, they are finding support in amongst themselves, which I think is something that's so crucial and so interesting that kind of came up really quickly. We had no choice. We had to adapt so quickly when the government said, okay, we close the doors. Yeah, and I think think it's inspiring that, that that's the case. Yeah, so... Yeah, and, and the other place, too, is um, to note is that um, the organization that used to be called Gay Écoute, and now it's called Interling, yeah. is mm-hmm. a 30- or 40-year-old telephone service, and it runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week in English and French. And uh, if people want to talk to somebody or experiencing difficulty or experiencing discrimination, they can also be in touch with uh, people there. Um, yeah. in, bo- in either language, and uh, they'll get, they'll be well listened to. Okay, great. So that gives us some uh, some ideas of where people can go. And the website, uh, David, for to get your programming. So you can always check out our website at lgbtq2center.com or you can also find it we're posting it all on facebook as news becomes available okay wonderful guys thank you so much for uh, being with me tonight really appreciate it as thank always you next time be in person all right yes let's hope <laughs> keep our fingers <laughs> crossed thank Take you so care, much everybody. you too Uh, Thank you all for listening uh, to the show. Uh, Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon, tonight. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Petito or through my my website at drlori.com where you can access the podcast of all past shows as well. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion. Love in Montreal City.